Aloha. Welcome to Lifestyles with Tia, the show where we can get real. Release your secrets and true stories while we celebrate the beauty of multiplicity. It's authentic and real. I love her style and her station. It's the number one station for your stories about life, relationships, and faith. You're listening to your number one station, Lifestyles with Tia. She is simply beautiful. Bless her, bless her, bless her. Your story matters, and we're about to have an open talk, engage, and educate. Now let's get to real talk. Tonight's guest on Lifestyles with Tia is Dana Longpray. She's a performing artist who tells her amazing story through singing, modeling, acting, and dancing. Hi, Dana. How are you? Hi, Tia. Thanks so much for having me today. Out of all the emails, your story submission caught my eye, which said, amazing testimony of how I came to Christ. <laughs> Whenever there's Christ involved, wants my heart to like go ahead and look at it first. So I did, and you started off by saying, thank you for this opportunity to share with you how I came to know the Lord. Right there. It was just the beginning of your amazing story. And I read through every single word that you have submitted. And wow, you've been through a lot. Quite a journey here. Would you like to take us back to your childhood and just briefly explain to us what kind of background you come from? Yes, thank you. I grew up in the Midwest in a really small town. And during my first memories were of just um, in my grandmother's home because unbeknownst to me, my, my mother and father were in the middle of a divorce. My mom was trying to get away from him because he was making a lot of bad choices. He was involved in drugs. He was getting arrested for everything under the sun. He was going to have some long-term jail time, and she just needed to get out of that toxic relationship. So my first memories are of you know, just being at my grandmother's house with my mother visiting. And so then we transitioned into a home on the very, very poor side of town. We were right next to a really busy highway. And my mom got involved in a relationship with another woman. And um, this lady ran the home beautifully, but was underneath it all was an alcoholic. And so unfortunately, it was a very abusive relationship between my mother and her with a lot of fighting, domestic abuse, and I just stayed out of the way. I just kept my room clean, got my homework done, and tried to help out in any way I could just to keep everybody calm the best I could. And my mother was in her early 20s. She had me when she was like just about to turn 19. It was kind of a shotgun wedding for her and that didn't, you know, obviously last. And so then she, now she's in another toxic relationship. And that, that was going on from when I was 3 to 11. So it was just constant yelling and watching my mother get beat up. They finally broke up when my mom was around, or I'm sorry, when I was 11. And so my mom had a couple years being single, which I love the break from all the chaos and the anger, but we started falling into poverty and you know, we were already on the bad side of the tracks, literally. And our house, like the floor was starting to cave in in places. Our bathroom floor, the entire house was carpeted for some reason. The bathroom floor actually had worms coming up through the floor. There was mold growing all over the walls in the winter. 
It was in the Midwest, so we had like about an inch of ice on the inside of the windows, and our door would freeze shut in the winter, and we'd have to get a blow dryer to get out of it. We were like frozen into our home. So then when we were at the depth of this happening, or just our home falling apart around us, that's when my dad literally showed up on my 13th birthday. So striking, easy to remember because, you know, it's my 13th birthday. The next morning, he was just in our house. I asked my mom about him before, and she just said he was an awful man. I don't want to talk about it. That was literally the beginning and the end of our conversation. I think I probably asked that one time like when I was like under 10. And so to all of a sudden have him there, that was a big shock. Obviously, that was it. And she turned into a teenager again, which I hated. <laughs> she was all, oh, my gosh, you know, and flirty flirt. And they were having a great time together. And then the secrets started happening. I'm doing this, don't tell your mom. I'm doing that, don't tell your mom. And over a two-year period, he was getting fired from jobs. He started showing an anger problem. He started, you know, beating up my mother, my sister. I wasn't getting beat up, but I was getting sexually abused. And I think my sister was too. I have no idea. She wouldn't say anything. But again, I started just sucking it up, just trying to get through each day. And I was just doing my homework. I shined at school. I was academically very strong. I was like first or second chair clarinet all the time out of 16 kids. I was in a big band program. So I just poured all my energy into, you know, surviving and thriving at school. And at home, it was just like a total war zone. My dad, since he couldn't stay hired, was, you know, we were, our home, again, was still falling apart around us. So there he was sitting in your living room, and this is your 13th birthday. No formal introduction. Were you kind of like, who is this man? Or you knew that was your father? Well, interestingly enough, that night when I heard a male's voice in my living room, because my bedroom actually shared the wall with the living room, so I heard this voice. The mannerisms and the way he spoke reminded me so much of his mother, which I only knew a little bit. I would only see her like three or four times a year, my grandmother. And I'm like, that's got to be my dad. The way they spoke, their voice, their fluctuations, everything was so alike. I just had this sinking feeling like, what are we getting ourselves into? So he had probably spent the night and you saw him yeah. sitting in the living room the next day. Yeah, um, that's right. Around this time, how old was your sister? Well, we're 11 months apart. So she had probably just turned 12 then because her birthday younger sister. is, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, first, first I have my birthday and then 11, two and a half weeks later, she has her birthday. So we always say we're twins for two weeks. And then <laughs> I, I turn, yeah, it's cool. It's a special bond we have. Do you still have that bond with her? It's um, intense because obviously I can think that the listeners are already going to kind of guess that I'm going to end up in foster care and that's where the story is going to go. But during that time in foster care, we were separated into different homes and that ended up being a healthy break for both of us to kind of get some air from the toxicity that we both came from to kind of grow up, breathe and grow in the Lord because we both met the Lord in foster care and mm -hmm. we both have a separate story, but I did influence that in her life. But um, I think it was healthy for my sister to, I, I'm kind of the, the outgoing leader type. And mm -hmm. I think, unfortunately, inadvertently, I believe that she felt overshadowed. I'm not competitive in any way, but I think that that just was a default for her being mm -hmm. a shyer person was just needing that space for me, which I thought was totally healthy for her. But yeah, we did get separated 
in foster care and um, that gave her the chance. But we reconnected now in these last few years and it's great. We both live in the Midwest now and we get to see each other for holidays and everything and our kids get along great. So there's definitely a happy ending here coming. Your father was sexually abusing you and your sister? Yeah, I have reason to believe he was also being abused that way. So sad to even talk about it and bring it up. But I just think that listeners, I pray, will be able to relate to what I'm saying. And I want to impact by saying this. My dad was away from home quite often, thankfully, because he kept getting fired from the jobs in the small town that we were in. And so he had Mm -hmm. to keep finding work further and further away from the radius of our town, which ended up being a great blessing for us to get a break from all the tumult. And so during that um, downtime that he wasn't there, I finally got the courage up. And this is something I really want the listeners to hear because I finally got the courage up to tell my mom he's visiting me and it's super inappropriate. And then Mm -hmm. her answer to me, which blew me out of the water, was this. She said, he probably was drunk and didn't know it was you. Mm -hmm. And the other thing she said, and of course, you'll never forget when somebody responds like this. The other thing she said was, he doesn't know how to be a father. This is all new to him. He's getting counseling. And that mm-hmm. was the end of that conversation. And so yes. obviously that's pretty jaw dropping for anyone to respond to a victim who's being abused with an answer like that. And so especially your own mother. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so my sister did not squeak a peep when I said any of that. Like, I think that for her, if it did happen to her, and like I said, I have reason to believe it did, that it was just so horrible and awful. And she is more of the introvert and I'm more of the, you know, outgoing extrovert. I had mustered up over weeks the courage to finally, you know, like, let those words come out of my mouth, which were so painful to even repeat out loud. And like I said, I didn't give her the gory details because I couldn't even say what was happening behind closed doors out loud. And and I actually haven't, even though I've shared my testimony many times. I don't think it's appropriate, but enough to know that it was horrible and awful and and way over the boundaries of any interaction that a dad and a daughter should ever have. So anyway, just emphasizing that to people who are listening, I mean, if the first person you tell doesn't take it seriously and doesn't help you, you definitely need to find some other adult that you can find because it it, it began and ended there. And for me, I was living in terror every day that when he came back, that there was going to be more of that going on. And so because there wasn't a way out for me, or at least that's what I thought. And unfortunately, a lot of victims think, well, I told one person and they didn't help me. So I guess I just have to hide when that person comes home. And that's pretty much what I did. I just was tried to be gone as much as possible. So you guys gave away all your belongings, except for what each of you could carry in one cardboard box. And then you guys were off Alaska. Yes, we were under the belief that we just like days before that we were going to move to Florida and start a new life there. And so, of course, I told my junior high friends I was just about to start high school. I really didn't want to leave. I was a very obedient child. I really want to emphasize that. Even though I was living in this horrible situation, like I said before, my way of of escaping was to throw everything I was into school. And now I was going to be taken out of that environment that I love. And my dad revealing literally days before we were leaving, by the way, we're not really going to Florida. We're going to Alaska and we're going to homestead out there. So I'm terror stricken and aware, obviously, that he's trying to sneak out of town, number one, and number two, that I'm going to be isolated out in the middle of nowhere with this monster with nowhere to go, because now the place that was my safe place, which was school, he's suggesting 
that I'm not even going to get that anymore. And so I was just horrified. Is it because he got a job there in Alaska? That's what he led us to believe. And so when we packed up and drove, I think it probably took us about a week and a half. He was in a giant hurry to get there. And he had gone ahead of us, checked out the lay of the land. And we thought our understanding that he got a job. And my mom's like, we really need to do this for your dad because it's a dream. It's been his dream and everything. And no one's ever done anything for him. And he did get married between my mom after my mom and him got divorced. He did get married to another woman, did not have any children, but he said, I'm going to the store one day and she left him. She never came back and he never saw her again. And so my dad is terrified that my mom is going to leave him, that he was trying to isolate us on purpose. And so when we arrived in Alaska, I believe I felt like my mother was also under the impression that he had got a job and a place for us to live. And when we got there, Tia, we moved into a campground and he had, I think, a gas station job. So we were sleeping in our van, my sister and I, and our, the only things we owned were a cardboard box. Thankfully, we were near a town. And so my dad and mom did enroll us in the local high school, which was a huge blessing and ended up being our saving grace. I was in a homeless situation. They did obtain a trailer at one point, but we were with wow. no heat. There wasn't heat. It was kerosene heating sometimes and no and electricity. Old. Yes. And when I was removed from my home finally in January was when somebody found out about our situation and uh, came to pick me up one day and uh, got to my friend's house. Social worker was waiting there to interview me. And so that's how that all turned around very, very quickly. Was your mother really disappointed when you guys got to Alaska because she figured it out? She figured out that there was oh, no hope. no, not at all. No, not at all. She's like, oh, this is a great adventure. We're going to have so much fun and it's so beautiful here. <laughs> and we're getting a fresh start. It's going to be great. And I'm like, uh, okay, um, <laughs> you know, I can roll with the punches too. And I'm a hearty girl. I was willing to do anything with my mom because she was fun loving and a sweet person. And we click. I mean, I could talk to my mom for hours. I confided in a friend to just backtrack a bit. Yeah. Inadvertently, I think that he, a friend of mine from school, kind of, you know, you get to know people and you start sharing a little bit. I made the comment at one point that we didn't have heat. And he said, what? Because it's January. Finally, I started divulging. Well, you know, it's pretty rough at home. We live in a tiny little 16 foot by I can touch the wall. So I don't know five feet, <laughs> four people crammed in there. However many pets, there were like, I don't know, two dogs and five, three or four cats. I don't know. We got kicked out of the campground at one point and we ended up having to move into a trailer park. There was, you know, 30 miles, I believe it was 20 to 30 miles outside of the main town, which was teeny tiny town in Alaska. Town was already out in the middle of nowhere. And then you've got outside of that. So that's really out in the middle of nowhere. And so we got, like I said, kicked out of the campground. So we had to move into this trailer park, but it was all manners of trailer. I want to emphasize it. I think people in the lower 48 call it a mobile home park where it's respectable living environment. You know, they're sometimes are double wide or single wide. And when my dad had encouraged us that we were going to get a trailer, I, in my mind, was imagining that. And then one day I come home from school and it's this really run down little something you would pull along behind you with a small truck. And it was not heated and there was no plumbing. So he built on a little side porch, a covered porch, which in Alaska they call a wanagon. So there was a lot of beautiful native words that we were woven into the everyday language up there, which was really cool. And so that one again had a bucket in it. And so if we had to go to the bathroom, we went out 
there in the bucket. Obviously, I tried to hold it until I went to school. And then my bed folded out of the ceiling and it was right underneath a skylight that leaked. And so the center of my bed was always soaking wet. And it was always, my dad finally got a kerosene heater, but it took up the entire center of the floor. My dad always liked it really hot for some reason. And so it's January and it was either absolutely freezing in there or we had kerosene and he would fill that thing up and he would turn it up to it felt like 85 and I'd be sweltering and I was up on that ceiling on that wet bed and I would suck up against the wall as far as I could to stay out of the wet bed and I didn't want to take many clothes off because Lord God I wanted to keep my modesty from that creep and so I'm Mm -hmm. just living like that and then the food that we had in the house was very bingy foods because he would cycle through his drugs and he would, you know, only have soft pretzels and Captain Crunch and Coca-Cola, most of cupcakes. That's what he ate. He lived off that stuff. And so when we came home, there wasn't anything really to eat except for that kind of stuff. And so my parents did confide in us. If you want anything this year, you need to go get a job. And that yeah. ended up being a huge blessing because my sister and I did both work at a hotel. We had to get work permits and we worked as maids on the weekend. Mm-hmm. So we're in school during the week. So we had heat and a bathroom. Yay. And then on the weekends we were maids. And so we had heat and a bathroom and they even gave us free lunch from the restaurant, which was so wonderful. And so we were able to stay away from our dad that way. We were to have heat. We were able to have food. We were able to stay out of the way out of most of the time because of that. But then my friend found out our situation and I didn't have a phone at my home and no one had mobile phones back then. This was like 1990 when this happened. So I walked quite a few miles away one day when I was sick. I just needed to get out of house, quote unquote house. My parents were in another drag out argument And I just said, I need to get out of here. And it was, you know, kind of blizzardy outside, of course, you know, it's January, Alaska. And I walked probably, I would say about a mile, mile and a half to get to the nearest phone. And I walked in and I I heard myself say this. I said, it's an emergency. Can I use your phone? And as soon as I said that out loud, I thought, oh God, why did I say that? My dad is going to think that I'm, you know, he's going to kill me, that I'm gone this long. They're going to know. And I started just kind of freaking out, called my friend and he said, we'll come get you. Where are you? And I, uh, I was like, uh, uh, uh. I was terrified that they weren't going to come fast enough and that my dad would find out where I was and just bring me home and skin me alive. Thank God they got to me before my parents did. And they brought me to their house and I got there and there was a social worker there. And the thing that would terrify me about that social worker was, I'm going to tell him my whole story and he's not going to believe me. And then they're going to send me home and I'm going to get beaten yeah. like black and blue. Yeah. I'm terrified you know, of that. No, they believed me, brought me to the police station. And when I came out of the station from my interview, my sister was also there with that family who had rescued us from school. And we were in their home as temporary foster placement. So that's how that all began. New chapter in our lives. During that period of time, was your mom doing drugs with your dad? I always wondered that. He was extremely subtle and submissive about things. I never saw her doing anything, but when he would start up, he would get out the alcohol and some other stuff. He would say... He also, you know, had marijuana. So what all he was doing, I don't know, because as soon as he started getting it all out, I would go on a walk. And he would Mm -hmm. say, come on, have a drink with me, smoke a bowl with me. And I thought, I know why you're saying that, because you want to sleep with me. You want to get me drunk. No way. That's the thing I was thinking. Of course, you want me to party with you. I'm out of (laughs) here. So I never knew if she was in on it or not, but I never stuck around to find out. And he would come home at any old time. It was just so unpredictable. It was just nerve wracking. 
you know, I never knew if he was going to be in the best mood in the world. He was very manic depressive. He actually got diagnosed with that later where he'd be in the best mood in the world and spoil us rotten and buy us all these goodies. Or he was in a terrible mood and would be screaming and yelling and attacking my mom. It was awful. So you and your sister, you guys both became ward of the state of Alaska. Yes, that's right. Yep. For three years. Yes. And since then, you've um, moved 11 times, including two lockdown facilities, one group home. That's right. Yeah. This is where good news um, gets spread to you in your second place of home. That's when you found out Jesus. That's right. That's the part I'm excited to share also, because after all that sadness and doom and gloom, I remember meeting this lady, and I'll say her name. Her name was Bonnie. I am still in contact with two foster placements that I was in, and one of them just recently passed away, but I had been reconnected with her after all these years. And the other foster mom, I am still very close. Unfortunately, Bonnie, I lost track of, but I know I'll see her when I get to heaven and I'll get to give her that hug that she needs from me. But anyway, I was able to tell her, you know, what happened to me directly after it happened, thankfully, because she knows I am saved and everything. Yeah, when I first got to that placement, I was extremely skeptical that she would want me because after my first placement, totally bombed do bizarre pranks. They stole a lot of my possessions. I would just come back to my room and a lot of my stuff would be gone. And so I confided in my social worker that it was a toxic environment and that I really wanted to leave. And so he said, well, let me find another, you know, let me see what I can do. And so then he, one day he picked me up and he said, well, there's this nice old lady out in the, out in the woods here. And uh, she already has two other foster girls. So I think that might be a good place for you. I said, all right, I'm, I'm willing to give anything a try, you know, I don't want to be with that other family anymore. So I got out there and the remarkable thing, Tia, when I saw her coming down her hallway to greet me was that her face was shining. I'd never seen anything like it in my entire life. I'm like, what am I witnessing here? This woman, she had short curly hair and glasses on. I mean, she was nothing to look at, but she was radiant. And I thought, what is going on? And she said, come on in, dear, I'll give you the tour. And she's just shuffling through her house, showing me the rooms were big and clean and like old fashioned and, you know, quilts over the back of the couch. It was just a great environment. After weeks of being with this lady, she's telling me about the Lord, God, and about how Jesus loves us. Okay, well, <laughs> fine, you know, you nice lady. I'll... So one day she said, hey, I'm going to church. They want to come. And I said, well, why not? I, I'm thinking I have nothing else to do. So I go with her and everybody there is like, like her, like more people like her. I'm like, wow, you know, what is going on here? Like none of them shown like her though. She was something else. And so I'm loving going to this church. Everyone's glad to see me. I thought, I wonder if they know I'm a foster kid. Like if they knew that, maybe they wouldn't want me around. I'm thinking, you know, but I just kept going. And then finally they said, Hey, uh, we have an announcement. We have a special speaker who's going to be coming. Next week for revival, it's going to be week long. He'll be speaking every night. Don't miss it. And right then and there, I was like, I need to see that guy. I need to hear that. And so I told my foster mom, I said, please, please, can I go? I'm sure any any foster mom hearing any teenage girl saying that is like, well, yeah, no brainer. (laughs) And so she said, absolutely, honey, you can go. Every evening, this guy named Clarence, he was a pastor from the South, he would always say, Jesus, kind of funny, I thought a little bit, but he really was a radiant, joyful, 
charming, not in a creepy way, but I mean, in a kindest, most humility, gentle spirit. And he went on stage that first night and said, you know, I'm going to share with you how the Lord came into my life. So I'm like, okay, Mr. Sure. Tell me your story. Well, then when he started sharing, it blew me out of the water because he was like, I was in the army and I was a rough guy. I had a dirty mouth. I was sleeping around. I was drinking. I was drugging. I was doing everything I could do to fill my heart up with happiness by doing all this junk. And I was like, wait, what? Hold on a minute. You just, you just came on stage in the suit and you're the shining man of God. And you're telling me you used to be like my dad right then and there. Yeah, I was yeah. blown away. Like, hold on a minute. You mean you can take, like, you're saying that you can be a guy like my dad and turn into this guy? And I'm like, I'm all yours, man. Whatever you say, I'm going to be hanging on the edge of my seat. And I was. So every mm. day that week, I was literally, I'm sure if anybody saw me, they would have saw me, like, my hands gripped on the, the back of the pew and, like, <laughs> leaning forward, you know, as far as I could lean. Because I'm, like, hanging on his every word. He's telling me story after story of how God literally was calling him of what mm. God did for him to lead him to him. And so then by every evening, Tia, I was just like, I want to believe, I want to believe God is real. And one night I was sitting there hanging on that guy's every word and the church literally started fading out. And while it was happening, I was thinking to myself, what in the world is going on? And then all yeah. of a sudden I'm upstairs in my room at the foster mm. home. And it was like the morning, the next morning or something. And I'm like, I'm in bed. I'm like, how did I get here, number one? Number two, what's going on? Because I, I yeah. thought I could hear something outside. And there was a lot of light streaming in my window. I was in that little sewing room that she gave me to sleep in with a cute little bed in it. And I saw a lot of light streaming in that window. And I thought, there's something going on outside. I hear something, but I couldn't quite tell what it was. So I, yeah. I whipped off my covers. And I emphasize this because I felt the covers in my hand. I saw myself go on the floor. I was wearing a nightgown, bare feet felt the stairs under my feet, walked through the kitchen, felt the linoleum under my feet. And then I'll, this is very clear. I grabbed the doorknob to go outside and it was a gold metal doorknob. I felt my hand touch that doorknob. I opened up the door and it was a clear, crisp, it must've been February by this point. So there was still snow on the ground. I stepped outside in the snow and I whipped my head around to see what the sound was. But when I opened the door, as soon as I opened it, it was this clear trumpet sound you know, yeah. it just like blasted me. It was beautiful sound. And I walked around the path to look up into the sky and there were these two clouds, beautiful white puffy clouds and a beautiful blue sky. And the sun was streaming through these clouds. And I saw these two angels and they were parting the clouds and they were playing this trumpet music to announce this man of light who shone like the sun. I could not see his face, but the moment I saw him, I knew it was Jesus. And he wow. came down and he stood next to me and he held me. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and he felt like the sun and he helped me. And I was crying, crying in gratitude and painful. I believe, I believe I said, and as I was clearing my tears, I looked around and I was at the church again. I don't know what happened to me, but I know that the hole in my heart is filled and that Jesus loves me. And I just jumped out of my pew and I just ran up to the front of the church and I reached for the pastor's hand and he was glowing and smiling 
at me and his wife was standing next to him and she was smiling and I just said, I believe, I believe. And they just hugged me. They were praising God and so grateful for me. And then the next thing I know, I'm in the car riding home. And then when I got to my foster home, I jumped out of the car, I ran into the house. My foster sisters looked at me and they said, what happened to you? Did you fall in love? I'll never forget (laughs) that they said that. And I said, yeah, I did, I did. And I ran over to my foster mom and she was sitting in a rocking recliner and she had her arm on the handrest. I'll never forget this. And I ran over there and I knelt down and I put my hand over her hand and I looked at her face. She turned her face around, shining as always. And I looked at her and I said, I believe. And she put her hand over the top of my hand and she said, good, 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 good. good. And like, it's a miracle. And I'm sure she was praising God all evening that a miracle happened in my life that changed me forever. Did you ever get to see your dad or your mom again after that? I did get to see my mother. The social worker asked me if I would be open to interacting with my mother via letter to start off rebuilding our relationship. And I did say yes. And I still have that letter that my mother gave me today in a keepsake box. Throughout those 11 times that I moved in all these different foster care homes, Tia, I had remember a box of items and that was all I had was this box and a lot of my things throughout those placements were stolen by other foster kids unfortunately and so it kept getting pared down you know the items that I possessed were getting smaller and smaller but I was able to hold on to these letters you know no one would see any value in that thankfully that my mother gave me And so we were starting to rebuild our connection now because my mother was choosing to still remain with my father. I was not able to do any home visits. And your sister lives near you now. Who knows? God works in mysterious ways. And maybe one day you guys could be a happy family. Maybe one day your father will ask you for forgiveness. And I'd be praying about that. Absolutely. Um, Now, could you please um, share with us where the listeners can find you, see what you're up to, um, to reach you? Yes. The main way to connect with me is through Instagram at D-A-N-A. Long Prey, so it's Dana Long Prey, and then Long Prey is L O N P as in go, P as in Paul, R E at Instagram. I don't think it's at Instagram, but it's at Dana Long Prey. <laughs> that's my Instagram. And that's where I put yeah. all my acting projects. And, you know, I am going to make this into a movie, but it'll be from the angle of me working as a foster parent in a group home, as a staff, I should say. I'm going to be called one of them. And I am writing the screenplay play right now. So to keep up on all that, if you want to hear more, that's where all that's going to be posted on my Instagram at Dana Long Praise. Thank you for asking that. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and story, Dana. Thank you so much for having me again, Tia. It was a super, super wonderful delight to talk to you today. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by joining my channel. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Don't forget to visit tspage.com rate and subscribe. Until next time, mahalo.